Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 21 to 23, the last three verses of the letter. And we will have been done now with the book of Philippians. Philippians 4, 21 to 23. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black pew Bible under your chair. And if you turn to page 1042, you'll find, you'll find it there. Because I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible, and most of you have that, if you have a Christian Standard Bible, either from the pew Bible, let's read, this, let's read these three verses out loud together just from where you're seated. All right, ready, begin. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, that is our prayer, that the grace of your Son, our Lord, Jesus the Messiah, that that grace would be with and remain with and be strengthened in our spirit. So, Father, we pray that we would grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Help us, Lord. We can't grow in grace apart from you because grace is a gift given, not something we can earn or manufacture or work for. And so, Father, we pray that you would pour out your grace in Jesus Christ to us this morning. Give me grace to preach. Give me and all of us here grace to hear and listen to what your Spirit is saying to us as a church. We pray, Lord, that if there's anything I say that's wrong or unbiblical, that that would be identified and dispensed with and whatever is true and whatever according to your word, that that would remain and that that would give life to us. So we want to abide in you now, Lord Jesus, and have your words abide in us that we might bear much fruit. For apart from you and apart from you right now working in us, we can do nothing. So we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. The difference between you and a non-Christian comes down to one word. If you're a Christian here, and you're at one point not a Christian, you have a friend who's not a Christian, the difference between you and them right now is one word. The key to your joy in God and your growth as a Christian comes down to one word. And the difference between who you would be and who you could be comes down to one word as well. And that word is grace. The reason why you're a Christian is grace. The reason why you grow is grace. The reason why you can be um, a mature, godly, passionate Christian for Lord Jesus is because of grace. That's, that's the only reason. That's the only thing. It's God's grace. So what does Paul mean? And I'm getting this from the, ver- the last verse, verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with, you spir- with your spirit. So Paul wants grace to be with your spirit. What does Paul mean by grace? What is grace? Grace is, grace is the favor and blessing of God, which actually means God's actually giving you himself. That's the ultimate blessing is God himself. God giving you his favor and his, gra- his, favor and his blessing to the ill-deserved. Not the undeserved. Undeserved might mean you, all, you simply don't deserve it. You, it's not just that you don't deserve God's favor and kindness and communion with God. It's that you deserve the opposite. You deserve, I deserve, condemnation in hell for our sins. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And so we deserve wrath for our sins. And yet God gives us Grace. 
he gives us blessing. He gives us hope. He gives us eternal life when we deserve eternal death. We deserve the opposite. And so grace is God's blessing and favor and God himself given to the ill-deserving. And that's Paul's prayer here or his blessing here is that, that God's grace, God's favor, his blessing would be on you and it would remain with your spirit even though you deserve hell. John Piper puts it this way in, in terms of um, why we need grace to be with us. Christ is ahead from whence the new man must have influences of life and strength or it will decay every day. He's quoting John Owen there. Oh, that our people would feel the urgency of daily supplies of grace because grace decays. Do they know this? Is it a category in their minds that grace decays? How many try to live their lives on automatic pilot with no sense of urgency that means that means of grace are given so that the riches of Christ may daily be obtained with fresh supplies of grace? John Owen says it this way. Do any of us find decays of grace prevailing in us? Deadness, coldness, lukewarmness, a kind of spiritual stupidity and senselessness coming upon us? Do we find an unreadiness unto the exercise of grace in its proper season and the vigorous acting of it in the duties of communion with God? And would we have our souls recovered from these dangerous diseases? Here's John Owen's solution. Let us assure ourselves that there is no better way for our healing and deliverance. Yea, no other way but this alone, namely the obtaining a fresh view of the glory of Christ by faith and a steady abiding therein. Constant contemplation of Christ and his glory, putting forth its transforming power unto a revival of all grace is the only relief in this case. So the problem is that grace decays. Real grace. Grace that was poured out on you last Sunday. Grace from your devotions. Grace from uh, a, a spiritual retreat or a camp you went on a few years ago. God pours out grace every day and that grace decays. Not all of it decays. There is some lasting fruit from it. But a lot of it decays. Just like your last meal, you still get hungry again. You need another one. And yet there are still some nutrients that remain at the same time. But the point of it is you can't live all of your life on yesterday's grace. You can't drive your car on last year's gas. It's gone. You need a new tank of gas. So what do we need to do? We need to keep, here's the main idea, keep and cultivate God's grace so that it doesn't decay in your life, but instead you grow in joy and power to gospelize others. The main idea there, that's a really long sentence, but the main idea is a short sentence. The main idea is keep and cultivate God's grace. That's what God wants you to do. That's what he's telling us from this passage, that that God's grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, would be with your spirit, that it would remain with you, that you would keep that grace that flowed to you, and that you would cultivate more of that grace. So Paul helps us to keep God's grace since grace decays. How do we do this? How will we keep God's grace from this passage? In these three verses, I have four, four points or four ways to keep God's grace. You do it by, by greeting, reading, receiving, and believing. So greet, read, receive, and believe. Okay? You need, a, you need exercises of God's grace to cultivate and maintain and keep up God's grace in your life. You can't control God, but God lets grace flow to you through different channels. And here are four channels of grace to you. Greet, greeting, reading, receiving, and believing. So let's go, first of all, with greeting. And that's the first two verses. Verses 1 and 2, or verses 21 and 22, greeting. It says this, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. 
The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So we, there are four, four aspects here of, of greeting, okay? We want to greet every Christian with sincere respect. It says greet, verse, verse 21, greet who? Every saint in Christ Jesus. So what do we mean by greeting? By greeting we mean recognizing someone, noticing someone, recognizing them, and caring about them, okay? So greeting is a noticing of somebody, it's a caring for that person, and it's a, it's a letting them know when you greet them that you recognize them. Um, C.J. Mahaney defines it as, it, greeting is to engage in hospitable recognition. Or So you notice somebody, you recognize them, you take interest in them, you greet them, and you engage them hospitably. David Pallison prayed it this way. He said, my prayer that I want you to pray for me is that I would, quiet, I would be quietly attentive to people I encounter and that I would thoughtfully engage them. I like that prayer, right? To be quietly attentive to people and thoughtfully engage them. Greeting means you're thinking not about yourself, but about the person that you're greeting, right? You're, you're, you're going up to them. Paul says this all over the place. You guys know the famous one, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, where he says, greet one another with a holy kiss, right? We laugh about that. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send you greetings. In Philippians um, 1, 1, he, he greets the saints in Christ Jesus there. So, so greeting is all over the New Testament, letters. Now, who does he tell us to greet in verse 21? Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Now, every saint means not just your favorite ones, okay? That means greet every saint, not just the people you like to greet. Greet everyone in the church. Greet every saint. And notice, he calls them saints. They are saints in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus means that they're united to Christ Jesus. They're in union with Christ. So when Christ died, they died with Christ. When Christ rose, they rose with Christ. That's what baptism symbolizes, our immersion into Christ, into his death and resurrection. They are united to Jesus. And because they're united to Jesus, they are saints united to Jesus. Now, the word saint means holy one. Saint is a holy one, a sanctified one. Someone who is in a position of holiness. One who is positionally sanctified. Now, don't trip up over the word sanctified. If you've studied systematic theology, you, you might understand that sanctify means the process of becoming more and more holy. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the process of sanctification. I'm talking about the position of sanctification. That when you become a Christian, you move from unjustified and condemned to justified or righteous. But you also move from, from unclean, ceremonially unclean, to clean and holy. You are now a saint ceremonially before God. Okay? That is your position. That's why um, Jesus says to Paul in Acts 26, 18, I'm sending you to open their eyes when you convert them as you gospelize so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and listen to this and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So when you share the gospel and someone converts to Christ, they now receive a share among those who are sanctified, set apart, those who are saints by faith in Christ. Okay, 1 Corinthians sixteen eleven says this. And some of you used to be like this, like these sinners, but you were washed, you were sanctified. That's set apart as a saint. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So by union with Christ and by God's Holy Spirit, you are now a saint. 
That's why in Romans 1, 7, Paul says, to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called saints. We think of saints because of the Roman Catholic Church often as a, a special class of people, right? Saints are, you can only be a saint after you die. And some, some group of, of Roman Catholic leaders have to decide upon the fact and canonize you as a saint. And then you, have, you are now able to dispense the merits of your overflowing life to other people for their salvation. And so a saint is someone who's generally not alive. And, um, and it's not every, everyone who they think is born again. Whereas the Bible knows nothing of that. Amen. The Bible is saying that every Christian is a saint. I love seeing people squirm when I call them saint. Because you need to squirm until you stop squirming. I'm going to keep calling you saint until you stop squirming. Because you shouldn't squirm. Even though I admit when Ben was up here and he called someone to pray and he said, Saint Brian's going to come and pray. I did squirm myself a little bit at that. But, but yeah, you are saints. That's, that's what the New Testament says. That every Christian is a saint. Even a baby Christian. If you're saved, you're a saint. If you're not saved, you're not a saint. You're not set apart in holiness. That's why 1 Corinthians 1, 2 says, when Paul's writing the letter to Corinth, to the church of God at Corinth, those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, sanctified, called as saints. So when you're set apart, you are called as a saint. And so you, are, you need to greet every Christian. When it says greet every saint in Christ Jesus, that means greet every Christian, because every Christian is a saint. But not only should you greet somebody with respect, well, you need to greet everyone with respect because they're Christian. You need to greet each other as family. Look at verse 21 again. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. Why are they brothers? Are they, do they have the same dad and mom? Are they all related that way, biologically? No. Why are they brothers? Because God has adopted them and made them his children. As they have gotten saved, they are no longer children of wrath, but now they're children of God, and now we're family. Amen. We are brothers and sisters. So when you greet each other, greet each other as family because you are family. When we say the church is like family, we don't say the church is like family in contrast to the fact that the church is family. The church is like family because the church is family. Okay, don't only say that the church is an analogy of family. It's not, it's not that we're like family. Oh yeah, my church is like family. Biblically speaking, the church is family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. And so we should greet each other as family. And notice here, Paul says, the brothers who are with me send you greetings. So they might not even know them. But if they're Paul's family and Paul's your family, then they're also now your family, right? Have you ever met another cousin where your, your, you know, your family introduces you, you're already older, and say, oh yeah, this is your cousin because this is my brother's you know, son or whatever. And you introduce them and even though you just met them there, they're family, right? And you know that because of relationship. And so even though you didn't know them for your whole life, they're still family. It's the same thing with the church. Every Christian is part of your family. They are your brother or sister in Christ. And so the family of my family is family. So if you introduce me to another Christian, you say, oh yeah, here's um, my friend, he's a Christian. Then, then they are now, my, I mean, they were always my family, but now I can identify them as family. And I should greet them like family because they are family. Okay? So greet each other. Um, greet each other with sincere respect as saints. Greet each other as family. Then you also want to greet each other as the universal church. We talked about this on Wednesday. The Catholic Church. Now, we don't mean Roman Catholic, okay? Um, but as the universal church. There is one body, it says in Ephesians 4, verse 4, there is one universal church. And so Paul says here, all the, in verse 22, look, all the saints send you greetings. All the saints? Everywhere? 
He's talking about, you know, saints, saints um, from all over the place, even saints that don't know you, they greet you in Christ Jesus. He's talking about how even if they're not part of your local church, it doesn't mean you don't recognize them as Christians. You still get greetings from them and you send greetings to them because they are part of the universal church. Matthew Henry says that Paul, Paul desires remembrances not only of the bishops and deacons and the church in general, but every particular saint. Paul had a kind affection to all good Christians. That's what Jesus prayed for, that we would be one, not just our local church, but with all the saints everywhere. That in Christ Jesus, John, uh, Jesus said in John seventeen twenty that they may all be one as we are one. That's in essence, not in practice. That as we're united to Christ, we would all be one in Christ. But that essence of being one in Christ should filter or should flow down practically, right? We should actually love each other. And that's why Jesus says in John 13, 34 and 35, by this, all men will know you're my disciples by your what? Your love for, for who? For one another. For one another. Not love for your neighbors. Love for your neighbors includes non-Christians. He says love for one another. Love one another as I have loved you. In this way, you are to love one another. So we have a special love for fellow Christians. Not that we don't love our neighbors. We need to love our neighbors to the very same degree we love ourselves, which is pretty high. And we fail there. But we need to love fellow Christians even more than that. You need to love fellow Christians as who has loved you? As Christ has loved you. Now, Christ loves you more than you love yourself. So you need to love fellow Christians with that kind of love. And that is the practical outworking of the fact that we are one body, part of this universal church. This Catholic church, not Roman church. The Roman Catholic church is not a, it's not a Catholic church. It's not universal. It's not even a church, actually. It's not even a true church. It has denied the gospel. So we're not talking about the Roman church. We're talking about the universal Catholic gospel church, if you like. Those who believe the gospel and you're united to Christ by faith alone. That's what Ephesians 4 says, that there is, you were called in one hope of your calling, or there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one calling. There's one body of Christ around the world. And the Baptist faith and message, our statement of faith, it says it as well. It says, the New Testament speaks also of the church as the body of Christ, which includes all of the redeemed of all the ages, believers from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So when it says all the saints greet you, we are to receive greetings and to give greetings to all Christians everywhere, all true Christians everywhere. And then he says in verse 22, look at verse 22 again, all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong where? To Caesar's household, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Now, does that mean it's Caesar's family? The Roman emperor Nero, who was a very wicked emperor at the time, does it mean his family it could mean that it probably doesn't though it probably is closer to um some people say oh maybe it's the government officials and it could be that as well but even the household slaves the household servants or government officials even in other cities can be called part of caesar's household so it could be the imperial guard i mean look at chapter one go back to chapter one verse 12 and 13 go to chapter 1 12 and 13 Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known. The gospel has been advanced and has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I'm in Christ. So people all over the place in Paul's imprisonment has been hearing the gospel and it's been advancing, meaning some people have gotten saved. And so the new, the new saints, your new family who you don't know, but they got saved as they were imprisoning me, they're greeting you. That's what Paul's saying there. So we greet each other 
um, as the universal church. Now, let me apply this. Those are actually only three ways to apply it. Let's get to some application here. Have you ever been to a church, maybe even this church, or to a gathering of some sort, and you weren't greeted warmly, or you weren't greeted at all? How does that make you feel? When you're not greeted, or you're not greeted warmly, what does, that, what does that do? I mean, what do you start to assume about people or feel about yourself in that context? Yeah, discouraged, unwanted. I mean, do you under, uh, well, I guess the application here is don't underestimate. Don't underestimate the power of a warm and sincere greeting. Amen. Don't underestimate that, brothers and sisters. When I was tempted at a camp a few years ago, I was preaching at a camp, and I was tempted to look down on other Christians in my self-righteousness and arrogance. Um, God reminded me of Matthew eleven eleven, where it says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So when you're tempted to only focus on um, the, the standout people in a crowd, just know that every Christian is greater than who? Than John the Baptist. And he's the greatest of all women, in the, uh, uh, born of all women in the Old Testament. He's the greatest of all Old Testament characters. And every Christian, every new covenant saint is greater than John. So why would we treat, I mean, how would you treat John the Baptist if he was hanging out here? You know, I mean, wouldn't you greet him warmly and be thankful for him and respect him? Then do that to every single Christian, even a baby Christian, because they're greater than John the Baptist in the sense that they know more about the gospel being revealed to them. Why does Paul tell us to greet each other warmly? He tells us to do this, I think, because it forces you to keep a clear, it forces you to keep clear and edifying relationships with everyone. When you begin to have a grievance towards someone, the first thing to go is your greeting. You don't want to greet them because you're mad at them, because you have something against them. So you don't go out of your way to greet them anymore. So that was the first thing that goes, your actual greeting, or maybe the warmth of your greeting. Maybe you'll greet them, but it's a cold greeting. Or maybe the frequency of your greeting lessens with a particular person because you start to avoid them. Therefore, Paul commands us to greet each other and to do it warmly. In, first, in 2 Corinthians, do it with a holy kiss. And we'll just say the warmly for application's sake here, okay? Um, when we refuse to deal with the grievances in our relationships with one another, we'll either stop greeting them, we'll either stop greeting them, or we'll stop being warm in our greeting and we'll give cold greetings, or we'll fake it and we'll pretend to be warm, but we're really not. And when you're faking it, it gets tiring. So you either stop faking it eventually or, and even while you're doing that, your heart continues to get harder. Either way, the command to greet one another forces the issue. When he says greet every saint, that's a command to you. You don't have the right to, to, to neglect and ignore people in the church, in any church. You're to greet them. And that forces you to deal with the relational issues. You can't avoid it because the command is there to greet them. Ah, Lord, I want to greet everyone except that one. Well, the Lord doesn't give you that right. He forces you because the Lord loves you. And he wants, you, he wants your heart to not get harder. He wants your heart to stay soft, which means you've got to go greet that person and pray for God's grace in your life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote very famously, So between the death of Christ and the last day, it is only by gracious anticipation of the last things that Christians are privileged to live in visible fellowship with other Christians. It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world, and to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered, lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stands alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing, 
They remember, as the psalmist did, how when they, with the multitude, went to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept holy day. Listen to this. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of, incomparably, of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Longingly, the imprisoned apostle calls his dearly beloved son in the faith, Timothy, to come to him while he's in prison. The believer feels no shame, as though he were still living too much in the flesh when he yearns for the physical presence of other Christians. Man was created a body. The Son of God appeared on earth in the body. He was raised in the body. In the sacrament, the believer receives the Lord Christ in the body. Now, symbolizing the body. He's a Lutheran, so he'll take it a little bit too far there. And the resurrection of the dead will bring about the perfected fellowship of God's spiritual, physical creatures. The believer, therefore, lauds the Creator, the Redeemer God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, for the bodily presence of a brother. The prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile, sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. Visitor and visited in loneliness recognize in each other the Christ who is present in the body. They receive and meet each other as one meets the Lord in reverence, humility, and joy. There's greeting with respect. They receive each other's benedictions as the benediction of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if there is so much blessing and joy, even in a single encounter of a brother with brother, how inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who, by God's will, are privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians. I mean, if you see a brother once in a while, what a blessing to come on Sunday, right? And see a bunch of Christians. He says, lastly, um, it is true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us. That the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living in common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. It's a blessing to have a church family. It's God's actual grace and presence in the bodily presence of fellow Christians. So if you're not a Christian here, I wonder um, who do you greet and who do you pass by? Who are the people you pay attention to? There is a family that wants to greet you. There's a family, Christ's family, that wants you to become part of their family. There's a family that wants you to trust in Christ, to join the family through faith and repentance, that you might be greeted warmly and have deep, meaningful friendships with the church. For the Christian, what does this mean? Charles Spurgeon says, greet every saint. Give him a shake of the hand. Say, how are you, my brother? I wish you well. The religion of Christ is full of courtesy and it is full of general thoughtfulness. Generous thoughtfulness. These hearty salutations ought to be common in every Christian gathering. I always deprecate that wonderful respectability that exists in some places of worship where nobody knows anybody else. They are too respectable to to be acquainted with their brothers. I do not think that he can be a Christian who has no knowledge nor care about his fellow church members. You can't be a Christian if you don't care about your fellow church members. If you are in Christ Jesus, he says, get to know one another. That's basic, right? Greet each other and greet each other so that you get to know each other. Join a local church. If you're a Christian, you're not a member of a church, you need to be part of a church family. It's not enough to just sit here on Sunday and leave. That's not enough. It's greet every saint in Christ Jesus. 
For our church family, what does this mean? It means that we should greet one another. We should greet the guests who visit our church. You may forget what it's like to be a visitor when you're here for a long time, but you are still responsible to love our guests. And I'm not referring primarily to our two-minute greeting between the prayer of praise and um, the announcements. That's true. That's true. That's not the only place you greet. You greet each other after the service. You greet where you're not rushing. It feels rushed a little bit, right? Sometimes when you're greeting the two minutes. That, that, that two-minute thing is just priming the pump to get you to, to talk to people so that you could follow up after the service. It's not meant to replace greetings and actually visiting with people. It's, a, it's, a, it's priming of the pump. So let's greet one another meaningfully. And let's greet people from other churches. Other churches that believe in the Trinity and the, the deity and humanity of Christ and believe in salvation from sin and death by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Let's greet all those people from all those churches as saints. Amen. All right, that's the first one. Greet one another. Secondly, read. Now I got three, three points all from one verse. So it's one verse here. Look at verse 24. So grace comes through greeting, but in this last verse, grace be with all, I'm sorry, I'm in Ephesians 6, uh, 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So Paul wants the grace of Christ to be with your spirit. What grace? What grace? We'll go to, go to Philippians 1, verse 2. Philippians 1, 2 says what? What does it begin with? What are the first three words? Grace to you. Here comes a letter. Grace is coming to you because Paul's going to write the the letter of uh, Philippians. As you're reading Philippians, grace is flowing to you. When you're done with the letter, may that grace that just flowed to you in the letter be with you. So that's why I say the second way to cultivate grace is by reading. Because grace flows through writing. Grace flows through the scriptures. So the grace comes to you in the letter. Read the letter. And let that grace that comes through the letter remain in you. Now, what kind of grace is that? What grace of the Lord Jesus did, did Paul expect through this letter? Well, grace comes through Scripture, doesn't it? Isn't the Scripture itself a gift of God's grace? Amen. I mean, do we deserve God's word? No. Does every person on earth right now have God's word in their language? No. no. There are at least 3,000 ethnic people groups who don't have the book in their language. And so they, they go generation to generation dying without ever reading the Bible. Do English speakers deserve the Bible? No, we don't deserve it. We are ill-deserving. And yet God gives us the book. He gives us his word so that grace might flow to us through the word. I mean, the very end of Revelation says the same thing. Grace be with you. That's the end of Revelation. The end of the the last book of the Bible is that the grace of the Bible would be with you as you read it, as you study it. It opens the eyes of the heart, right? It makes wise the simple. It, gives, it enlightens the eyes. It brings joy to your heart. It is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. It gives you Jesus. Amen. So grace is mediated through the letter sent. Now this letter, this letter is God's grace. Um... Now, so let's summarize the letter. Let me summarize the letter. How does this letter mediate grace? There's three points to the letter of Philippians that I would summarize it as. I would say grace comes through. What The main point of Philippians is Philippians 1, 27 to 30, right? Which is live as gospel, live as citizens of heaven worthy of the gospel, striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. Now, that's a lot of words. Let me summarize it. The main point of Philippians is be united together 
in the gospel for the spread of the gospel. That's the whole point of Philippians. Because there are two women fighting in Philippians chapter 4, right? Yodia and Syntyche. And they're not getting along even though they're faithful family members and soldiers for the gospel. But they don't get along with each other. And so Paul is saying, be united as citizens of heaven, striving side by side for the, for the sake of the gospel. Unity for gospel spread. That's the point of Philippians. And so that grace of that message needs to come to you as you read the book, and then it needs to stay with you. We need to be united for the spread of the gospel. That's the grace of God flowing to me from this book. Now, how does Paul want us to grow in unity? Chapter two is grow in unity for the spread of the gospel by humility. So, Paul, so what did Jesus do? He emptied himself, took the form of a slave, and died on the cross, right? What did Paul do? Paul gave his life, you know, was, was in prison for the sake of the gospel. What does Timothy do? Timothy risks his life and is caring about other people's interests, not his own. What does Epaphroditus do? Epaphroditus almost died giving, this, giving the gift to Paul while he was in prison. You have Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and Jesus as examples of humility. You want to be in unity as a church for the spread of the gospel? Grow in what? Grace. Grow in humility. Grow in gra- the grace of humility, right? Grow in humility. Be humble. And then what's chapter three? Kill pride. What does Paul say? Even though I could boast about all my past stuff before I was a, a convert to Christ, even all the stuff I've done as a Christian, I'm an apostle, I suffered for Christ, all that I did, all of that good that I've done is what? Dung, right? Rubbish. For the sake of knowing Christ. It's not about pride. If we're going to be in unity as a church for the spread of the gospel, you need to kill pride in your life. Pursue humility, kill pride. And then chapter four was fight for the unity in the church. Fight for unity among each other, Yoda and Syntyche fighting, and fight for peace in your own heart. Okay, so that's the grace that Paul wants flowing to the church. That's what he wants flowing to Bethany Baptist Church this morning. Unity for the spread of the gospel by killing pride, by pursuing humility, and by pursuing peace amongst each other and even in our own hearts, the peace that passes all understanding. That's the grace Paul wants to flow. But the grace is not merely a message The grace is a person, right? It's Jesus himself that comes through this word. And so going back to Philippians 2, look at Philippians 2, verse 6. Talks about Jesus here. The grace is the grace of the gospel of Jesus flowing to you. Philippians 2, verse 5 says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, what did Jesus do? He emptied himself. Assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ died humbling himself for your sins, for your salvation, for your interest, not just for his own, for your interest, for your good. That's the gospel. That in the letter of Philippians, you get a picture of a savior who comes to you, a a humble savior an obedient Savior, a Savior who obeys the Father, a Savior who's not selfish, but a Savior who cares about you to the point where he will empty himself of his own, of his own initiative and agenda for your good and the Father's agenda. And so therefore he is exalted. That's the gospel, that Christ came to die for sinners according to God's will. If you're not a Christian, this is the one message you need to know. So some of you might be visiting with us today. You're not a Christian. Thanks for visiting with us this morning. We have one message. If you forget everything that I talk about today or everything we sing about, don't forget this. God made you. God created you to reflect him and enjoy him. But we have sinned and rebelled against God. And therefore, we deserve 
condemnation for our sins, for our rebellion, for our disobedience. Yet God sent Christ to earth and Christ emptied himself, humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that you can be saved. And God exalted Jesus. He rose from the dead and he's exalted as Lord so that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So God wants you to join the family. He wants, you, he wants to give you himself right now. He wants to give you grace. He wants to give you himself because his son died for you and rose for you if you repent from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. So if you're not a Christian, I want to, I want to encourage you on behalf of God, I'm saying to you, on God's behalf, be reconciled to God. Come to him. He sent his son to die for you and rise for you. So trust him and turn from your sins. So you can imagine that the Philippian church here reading this letter and grace is flowing to them from heaven through a letter. And so Paul now wants them to, to, to stay in that letter and that grace to remain with them. So what does this mean for you if you're not a Christian? Not only do you need to trust in Christ, I would say if you're not a Christian, read your Bible anyways, Right? Read the Bible and ask questions. As a church, we are not scared of hard questions. That's not because we have all the answers. Just because we believe the Bible's true. And so we want to be tested. We want the Bible. We want your questions. We want you to come with your questions so that you can come to know the truth because the truth will set you free. And so read your Bible and ask questions. I would say this to the world, that the Bible is a gift. America, English speakers around the world, we don't deserve the King James Version. Jim? among others, right? We don't deserve the King James Version or the Christian Standard Bible. We don't deserve all these translations that we have. And yet God has given it to us. And I would say to anyone in society, you cannot be a thoughtful English speaker today without, having, without knowing the main message of the Bible. You just can't know world history that well, right? Um, um, not only Western civilization, world civilization. So I would say to any non-Christian, it's a good thing to read your Bible, and it's a good thing that, I mean, you, I'm not saying, I mean, I, wa- I want you to receive the message of Christianity, but even if you don't, at least know what you're rejecting. At least read it enough to understand what you're rejecting. And hopefully in that, God will open your heart to the glory of his kindness. For the Christian, if I'm telling non-Christians to read their Bible, what should Christians be doing? Of course, we should be reading our Bibles, right? Doesn't matter how old you are, you should be reading your Bible every day. Let grace flow to you in abundance. Don't be content on yesterday's grace from what you read in the Bible. Get a fresh dose of grace. As a church, we should be reading the Bible publicly. That's why we read, we're reading through Proverbs in our evening service out loud together. Expository teaching puts the Bible up front as the main message. You can't do anything more important than read your Bible and meditate on Scripture. There's nothing more important you could do in your day. Children, busy parents, doesn't matter where you are, there's nothing more important you can do. God is speaking and pouring out grace. The question is, are you listening? Are you reading? Are you thinking? Are you hearing what he's saying? Okay, so greet, read. Grace flows through greeting through other Christians. Grace flows to you through reading the Bible and getting the grace, and namely getting Christ in the Bible and even in the book of Philippians. Thirdly, grace flows through blessing, through someone pronouncing a blessing on you. So we need to receive the blessing pronounced, okay? This is a little weird thing that we don't talk about much. When I was studying, this was by far the most new, the newest thing I've been thinking about. I'm like, wow, this is, I feel like I'm in strange territory here. But let's, let's look at it. Again, look at Philippians 4.23. What does Paul say? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is a blessing. This is like someone saying, 
May God bless you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Matthew Henry calls this the free favor and goodwill of Christ. May that be your portion in happiness. That's how he paraphrases it. Charles Spurgeon calls this an affectionate wish. I wish you the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. A loving wish. What is a blessing? When I bless someone or when you bless someone, when you pronounce a blessing on them, what is that? It's sort of like a, a prayer statement. It's not exactly a prayer because if I'm praying for grace, let's say I want to pray for grace on Bethany Baptist Church, I might say, Father, please pour out your grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. May that be with Bethany Baptist Church. I might say it like that, but I'm, who am I talking to at that point in a prayer? Who am I talking to? To God, right? Now, but in the blessing, when I say, may the Lord bless you, who am I talking to? To the people, right? So, so when you pronounce a blessing, it's a horizontal thing. It's not a vertical thing, right? And yet, what power do I have to give you grace or blessing? Where does the blessing come from? God. So it's sort of a prayer, but it's not actually a prayer because I'm not talking to God. I'm talking to the person as I'm pronouncing the blessing on them. So, um, so here's my question that I've never asked before, um, though I did ask last night when I was studying this. If only God can give a, the grace and blessing, why not pray it? I mean, why say it to the person? Why not just pray it in front of the person? Or pray it with the person? Why say it to the person? Because this is not the only time Paul says it. This is all over the Bible, right? All over the New Testament. Over and over at the end of the letters, grace be with you. May peace be with you. May grace be multiplied with you. Why is it over and over like Paul or the writer is writing to people and not just praying it to God? Paul has done prayers in, in, in his letters before. Why not just pray it at the end? And then secondly, okay, so I have two questions because this is that third way thing of, it's sort of like a prayer statement. Why not just pray it directly? Or here's the second question. Why not just say it directly to the person? Why not just say, hey, um, God is gracious to you in Jesus Christ and God's grace will flow to you. Why not just preach to them? Not in a bad way preach, but why not just gospelize them? Why do this weird statement of, of making a blessing? Sort of prayer, but not prayer. Sort of speaking to them, but not not just speaking to them. Why do this third thing? The reason why, I think, here's my best answer, is, um, uh, well, I have a few answers here. Let me just start saying them. I think a blessing, this, this prayer statement, it's meant to communicate something to the hearer in a way that if I just prayed it, it doesn't communicate it. It's meant for the person that's hearing it. Secondly, though, it's meant to encourage the hearer. It's like when we sing songs, we don't just sing songs to God. Don't we sing songs to one another, right? Um, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We're singing that to each other. We're not saying that to God, but why why do we sing to each other? To encourage each other. So maybe a blessing is to encourage, it's meant to encourage the person you're talking to. But thirdly here, it's meant to shape the thinking of the hearer. As they hear the words you're pronouncing on them, when they hear words, they start to think about the words, hopefully, Hopefully it's not mindless. But then not only are you thinking about the words, it's meant to orient the hearer's thoughts to God himself with an expectation that, that um, God will respond in answer to the blessing pronounced. Man, he just asked God's grace to be with me. Now I should, is God's grace coming to me? And if it is coming to me, I should start expecting it, right? So it's meant to shape your thoughts and now you start to, it shapes your expectation. And then, um, you, you, why else do we say it to people? Because we are, a royal priesthood. We are mediating God's grace to each other. We're not the high priest. We're not the ultimate mediator. God is, 
But we are under Christ, the priesthood. And so we mediate grace to each other by pronouncing blessing on each other. What does a mediator do? He mediates two different parties, right? What does a blessing do? Who's it addressing at the same time? Two parties. When I say the Lord bless you, I'm talking to God indirectly and I'm talking to you directly, right? That's the only statement that you say that actually does both at the same time. I could talk to you and preach to you like I've been doing for the last few minutes, or I could pray to God, but this is a rare statement of priestly mediation where you're talking to someone, but you're actually calling God as you're talking to them. Okay, that's why Aaron in number six was the one pronouncing a priestly blessing. So you find, why, do we, why do we do this? Because we're actually mediating God's grace through the pronouncement of blessing. Okay, so what are you supposed to do? When someone blesses you, it could kind of be awkward, right? You're just like, okay, thank you. Right? Like, what do you, how do you, what do you, how do you respond? What should you do when someone pronounces a blessing on you? And the reason why this is important, if you didn't notice, is at the end of every, every Sunday, what are we doing now? At the end when we read this, we're pronouncing a blessing on each other. What should you be doing when someone's pronouncing a blessing on you or when we're pronouncing a blessing on each other every Sunday at the end of the service? What should you be doing? Here's what you should be doing. The main thing you should be doing is humbly receiving it as a person who's poor in spirit and needs God's provisions. It is an act of grace. Okay, so how should you humbly receive it? Here's how. Listen to the words spoken. Don't tune out your mind when someone's pronouncing a blessing. Listen to the words being spoken, especially when they're quoting scripture. Listen to the blessing pronounced. Then think about those words from a biblical worldview because some people can pronounce um, wrong blessings on you like, may the Lord give you a lot of money so that you have a Tesla by the end of the week. Someone might say that to you, right? They might... They might pronounce that on you. Well, you got you to gotta think biblically about that, right? Prosperity gospel is a false teaching prominent in America, right? Yeah. So you want to be careful that just anyone who gives a blessing, you don't tune your mind off and be like, oh, I got to receive the blessing. Like it might be a satanic thing, right? So you, you want to you think about the words from a biblical mindset. So listen to the words, think about the words, and then you should start praying that God would answer that blessing. God, yes, pour out your grace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with my spirit. And then as you pray for it, you want to thank God that he is working in that person to actually pronounce the blessing on you. That person didn't have to do that. But we know from Philippians 2, 12, and 13 that everything we do that's good, God is working in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Why did that person bless me? Because God is working in him to will and to do for my good pleasure. Or for God's good pleasure, but for my blessing. So, So, yes. Thank you, Lord, for working by a whole church family pronouncing a blessing on me this Sunday. And then seek to experience that blessing through Christ. And then throughout the week, meditate further on that blessing pronounced on you and expect God to act in light of it. So we're not wasting words when we pronounce a blessing on each other. We are strategically trying to minister grace to each other. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, I already quoted it, but I'll read it again. We're talking about Christian community. The Christian community, talking about Christians, they receive each other's benedictions. That's a blessing. They receive each other's benedictions as the benediction of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as if the Lord Jesus himself is pronouncing the blessing on you. So what does this mean for the non-Christian? If you're not a Christian, you've heard it said probably meaninglessly, when you sneeze, God bless you, Right? Now, it's our prayer here in this church that God would actually bless you. And what we mean by blessing is God would reverse the curse on your life, on our lives, that's due to our sin. Amen. We're asking for saving blessing. 
repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ. For the Christian, you need to seek and receive God's blessing and grace through the ministry and pronouncement of others. You are not meant to live and grow alone as a Christian. You are meant for other Christians to pray for you. You are meant, you are meant for other Christians to pronounce a blessing on you. For the local church, this means that we should thoughtfully pronounce and receive blessings. We put it here in the bulletin, uh, and this is a direct challenge to you, brothers and sisters. Let's thoughtfully do this every Sunday when we pronounce the blessing. Let's not tune out at that point. Let's actually, let's actually realize that the Lord Jesus is working in us as we pronounce a blessing on each other. Okay? And um, something as a parent, recommendation to parents, bless your kids. Pronounce a blessing on your kids. Even every night. Before they sleep, one thing you know, um, story uh, story the other night was trying to. She wanted to bless me, so she tried to remember the, the blessing, and she totally uh, botched it. But Matthew, or what is it, number six, twenty four, twenty six? May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Those are not wasted words every night. We are pronouncing blessing on our children, the favor of God on them. You don't have to just do it to your children. You can do it to your spouse. But pronouncing the blessing on people, that's, that's important. So receive, receive God's grace through blessing. Okay, so we had three so far. If you're going to grow in grace, don't let grace decay. We don't want grace decay in our lives. So we need to greet each other because grace flows through fellowship. Secondly, uh, grace flows through reading the Bible and reading the letters because grace comes to you and then grace remains with you. Thirdly, grace comes through, through blessing. As someone pronounces the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ... Be with your spirit. That's grace flowing to you in that very pronouncement. And we're to receive that. And lastly, lastly, believe. Grace flows finally through what? For by grace you have been saved through faith. faith. Grace flows through faith. Contrary to Roman Catholic teaching, where they think grace can come through the sacraments, baptism or the Lord's Supper or their other five sacraments, which are not really sacraments, they say that grace comes through that even whether, whether you believe or not. Whether you believe or not, grace flows through you, to you because the, the sacraments have power for it in and of itself as long as there's no obstacle in you, they say. I would think faithlessness is an obstacle, but they don't think so. So um, the point here is that grace flows through faith, self-conscious believing in the truth that is being spoken to you, okay? Now, a lot of grace, let me be clear because I see some children here. Grace flows in your life apart from faith. Not saving grace, at least not initially saving grace, but there's a lot of other kindnesses of God that flow in your life, right? Isn't it grace that you're breathing right now? Now, if you're children, I see children here. If you're a child and you're here, realize the fact that you're, as a child, hearing the gospel here on a Sunday. You're growing up in a home that has the gospel, or you're growing up with, with some people who bring you to church. That's why you're here. That's God's grace flowing to you. So I picture like this, you know how grace starts to build up. I feel like when you're a kid and you grow up in church, not all of us had that privilege, but some of us do. When you grow up as a kid in church, all this grace is kind of being, kind of like building up on top of your head. And once you believe in Christ, all of it just kind of drenches you at that point. In the sense like you keep memorizing the Bible, right? Our kids are memorizing the Bible right now. They memorize, you know, the catechism where they're learning theology, Baptist theology and, and biblical theology. They're learning it there. And they're, they're memorizing all this stuff and they, they don't know what to do with it. And then they believe in Christ and through faith, all the things they've learned start to feed their soul. For the rest of their lives. Amen. So children, grace flows to you. And at the end of the day, you must trust God still. At the end of it, you need to trust in Jesus yourself to access the joy of God in that grace. 
But grace flows through faith. Faith in what? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the what? The word of God or the word of Christ. So it comes through faith in the word. Now, what are we supposed to believe in the word of Christ? Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God for the one who draws near to him must believe. What should we believe? That he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. That God is not a grumpy, cranky God with his arms crossed. God is a happy, enthusiastic God waiting for his children to repent and trust in him afresh over and over again. He loves and rewards those who seek him. And that's what we believe. So faith. Do you guys know the story of um, Jesus, the Mount Transfiguration? Jesus goes up to the mountain. He changes shape for a little bit, shines with his clothes really white. He comes down the mountain. He only went up with Peter, James, and John. He comes down the mountain and the other nine disciples are there and they're having this little crowd and there's an argument going on because there's a demon-possessed boy that they can't cast out the demon. Even though they've cast out other demons before, they're like, it's not working in the name of Jesus. Like they're doing it, it's not working. The, the boy still has a demon. And so Jesus comes down and he says, what's going on here? And um, they say, um, this boy, the, we, can't, we can't drive out the demon. So Jesus replies, I'm going to quote now Mark 9. You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. How long has it been happening to him? Jesus asked the father from childhood. He said, and many times it has thrown him into a fire and water to destroy him. Man, imagine that. Here's your child. You know, we feel helpless as parents all the time in a lot of ways, but like, your child is literally by a demon being thrown into a fire. And like you're at the beach hanging out with your family and then the boy just runs off into the water and tries to drown himself because there's a demon that's trying to destroy him. And so this father is saying, it's been happening from childhood. And he says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Imagine a father, of course they want compassion, right? If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And then immediately the father of the boy famously cries out, I do believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit and said, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse so that many said he's dead. But Jesus taking him by the hand raised him up and he stood up. The point here is grace flows through what? Faith. Anything can happen to those who believe. I do believe, but help my unbelief. Don't you feel like that as a Christian a lot of times? It's like, I got like 1% faith and I got like 99% doubt or point five, you know, like not even a full percent faith. And that's okay. Like, but grace flows through faith. So even a prayer of faith, Father, I believe, help my unbelief. I need your grace. Amen. It flows through faith. Again, if you're not a Christian, grace is available to you through faith in Christ. For Christians, we need to be praying. For, we need to trust in God's promises. And when we feel like our faith is at almost zero, let's even pray that. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. As a church family, let's keep calling each other to faith and repentance. Let's keep reminding each other of God's goodness in Christ. Let's keep gospelizing each other. Parents and spouses, there's grace for your family in the challenges of family life. For singles, grace flows to you in your singleness. And God meets your every need. For students, learn in your education in your school 
so that you might learn how to drink more deeply of grace. For workers, work as unto the Lord, that's a grace of God flowing to you. Keep trusting Christ at your job. For retired members of our church, grace still flows to you. Drink deeply of it by your faith and, and, and be freed from finding your identity in your job that you've left for years or your former ministries that you've given up. Grace doesn't come necessarily through your ministries. Grace flows through faith in Christ. If you're discouraged, God brought you here to encourage you. If you're feeling weak spiritually, God pours out grace to strengthen you. If you're stumbling in sin, God gives you grace to, come back to, 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 to stand back up. If you're stubbornly stuck in your sin and you feel like your heart is just so attached to it, God gives you grace to soften your heart and change your heart. Amen. If, you're, if you're doing well right now, some of you are doing well, you're encouraged and strong, God gives you grace to keep walking with him. He's not done with you yet. So let us greet one another for grace. Let's read the scripture for grace. Let's receive grace when people pronounce blessing on us. And let's believe grace because all of grace flows through faith. And without faith, you could greet and read and receive pronounced blessings all you want. But if you're not believing in Christ, then you have no access to saving, transforming grace. If you will continue to cultivate grace in your life, if you fail to do this, your thoughts will, of God will get fuzzy. Your power to love and gospelize others will weaken. Your ability to unite our church for the spread of the gospel will, will dissipate. And grace will decay in your life. And your joy and closeness to God will drift further away. But if you cultivate grace in your life, You'll grow in knowing God truly. You'll love and serve others more effectively. And your joy will multiply as you experience joy in the Lord Jesus. Now, we have to admit that we have been guilty of letting grace decay in our lives, don't we? Our track record of belittling and wasting grace is embarrassing. And it's sinful. We don't cultivate grace in greeting the saints. I was convicted of how I don't greet the saints, and I was telling our Sunday school class how awkward I am socially with some people in greeting, and I need to work on that. But we don't cultivate grace through greeting as we ought. We don't read scripture as, ought, as we ought. We don't receive pronounced blessings. How many times has a blessing been pronounced on us and we mindlessly just stood there? Wasting it, wasting the moment. And God has given us so much to believe, but we haven't greeted, read, or received blessing as we ought. Yet Jesus did, didn't he? Jesus Christ did greet others with, with respect and love. Jesus Christ did receive the blessing. Remember the ble- blessings were pronounced on him when he was a baby, right? When he was there with Mary. And Mary had to have told him those stories. Jesus did receive those blessings with faith. Jesus did read scripture. Didn't Jesus know the scripture? He kept on rebuking people, quoting scripture. Jesus warmly cared for everyone. And yet, Jesus wasn't treated as a favored, blessed one on the cross. He was forsaken, not favored. God didn't look on him with favor or bless him or protect him and give him peace. God removed his peace. God judged him. God cursed Jesus for our sins. And then he was raised and exalted by God. And so now because Christ, though he is the one who lived in grace and deserves God's favor, he was treated without favor on the cross so that we now can live in the grace that we don't deserve when we deserve the exact opposite. So brothers and sisters, Grace decays, let us grow in God's grace by greeting, by reading, by receiving, and by believing. Let's pray. I'll give you a minute to just gather your own thoughts and pray, and then I'll close our time in prayer.
Lord Jesus, we know that we need gospel unity for gospel spreading. That's the message of Philippians. And we know we need your grace that we cannot control, but we can only receive. We need your grace to be the type of Christians and the type of church that has gospel unity for gospel spreading. And so, Father, we pray for the good of our neighbors and for the good of the nations that you would pour out grace on us. We pray that we would grow in greeting one another well and warmly and comprehensively and universally without favoritism, without partiality. We pray, Father, that we would read your scriptures with joy and gladness and great expectation. We pray that we would be thoughtful in receiving blessings when they're pronounced on us, even here every Sunday morning and Sunday night. And we pray, Father, that we would keep trusting in Christ, that we might that grace might keep flowing to us and through us to others. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.